And I shared with you that if you and I are going to break out of our religious prison that we've been in, we must be willing to trade in our old religious beliefs and embrace God's truth as found in the Bible. Jesus said that when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. So few people today really experience true freedom in their spiritual life and in any other aspect of their life because of things we've been taught, things we've heard, and the misconceptions that we have about God. I shared with you three basic freedom principles that you and I must be willing to embrace and think about and accept. And we called them the always absolutes. They were once accepted, always accepted. That is, when we come to Christ, when we've come to God and and placed our faith in Jesus Christ, we no longer have to wonder anymore if we're acceptable to God. We don't have to wonder, I wonder if God doesn't like me. I wonder if God approves of me or not. No matter what happens in our life, because of our faith in Christ, God accepts us, period. And He wants you to feel accepted. He doesn't want you to just know it in your mind, but He wants you to feel it and experience it in your daily living. The second always absolute was once forgiven, always forgiven. When you came to Christ, God forgave all of our wrongdoing. He canceled all of our debts. You don't owe God a thing because of Jesus Christ. You don't have to spend your life wondering about all the wrong things, examining, being introspective about your life. You don't have to spend your days in confession in order for God to be pleased with you. God is pleased with you because you put your faith in Christ. And now there's freedom in your life. Freedom to know that you're forgiven. Freedom to be free from the pain of guilt. Freedom to experience a clear conscience not because of the wonderful way and the perfect way you live your life, but because of Christ. And because God says you're forgiven and that settles it. And the third always absolute was once loved, always loved. You don't have to wonder if you're performing good enough. I wonder if God likes me today. I wonder I wake up. I wonder if God really loves me today. I wonder if God will be patient with me today. God tells us that His love for us has no strings attached. It's absolutely unconditional. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't live good enough to get it. It's free. And God wants you to experience that in your life, that release of that burden. So often, people I interact with feel like, Mark, there's, there's this standard up here, and I always feel like I'm, I'm not quite measuring up. I want to tell you, that's an awful way to live life. That's how most people live their life. And particularly in religion, that's what we're taught. We must keep striving. We must do more. We must keep doing this. And Jesus says, hey... <laughs> If you're willing to quit working and come to me, you can have it all. I'll accept you, I'll forgive you, and I'll love you. Because it's not dependent on you, it's dependent on me. Now, the difficulty people have with this is a couple things. Number one, it just doesn't sit real well with us 
when we think that we can get all this from God for nothing. After all, we're Americans and there's no free lunch in life. And I'm going to work for whatever I get. And it's very difficult for people who have lived their life and tried to be very pious and tried to be very religious. And one day someone comes along and says, listen, I'm sorry, but uh, all that doesn't matter. What do you mean it doesn't matter? I mean, it just doesn't, simply doesn't matter. It's not going to please God. God is not going to love you more because of the way you live. God is not going to accept you. God is going to accept you because you accepted Christ. You see, Christ is the issue. So when a person comes to Christ, then they get all of the things that they've been wanting all along. Then the other problem that people have is this. When people start to understand these three principles... Once accepted, always accepted. Once forgiven, always forgiven. And once loved, always loved. As they begin to understand, it is a first major question that comes to their mind. And I hear this probably as often or more often than any other question. Mark, if that's true, then then I can go do anything I want to do and I can live any way I want to live and God will still accept me, forgive me and love me? And I always love to answer this question. And I look him right back in the eye and I said, Well, I think you're getting the point. That's true. You could go out and do whatever you wanted to do. And again, we don't like that. It doesn't seem fair to us that someone can have God, someone can know Christ, someone can have all these wonderful blessings, and they don't live a real pious or perfect life. Well, that isn't fair. Let me ask you. You think it was fair that Christ paid for our debt? I mean, we want to talk fair. Was it fair that God put His Son on the cross and that Christ paid for all of our debt and we all get off scot-free because of Jesus Christ when we put our faith in Him? Of course it's not fair. Not from the human perspective, but you see, God's mercy triumphs over His justice. That's called mercy. That's called unmerited favor, and that's what God's all about. And when a person begins to understand this, they begin to realize that, my goodness, we're talking about an awful lot of freedom. You're right, we are. We're talking about ultimate freedom. You see, Christianity is not a religion. Christianity doesn't have anything to do with religion. Christianity is a relationship between you, a human being, and God. A personal relationship of trust, of freedom, of love. You say, isn't that risky? Yes, it is risky. There's always a risk to relationship, especially between God and man. Why? Because you could abuse it. You could misuse it. And you want to know something? God knows that. Be that as it may, it does not change the parameters of the relationship and it does not change the fact that no matter what you decide to do with your freedom, you're God's child because you have Christ and He loves you all the time. All the time. People say, then you mean I can go disobey God and, and, and I, don't have to, I don't do everything perfect and God's still going to love me and He's happy with me and He forgives me? And yes, that's, that's the truth. You see, we don't have a business contract with God. We don't have a, a code of all these things with a check off every day. 
We have a relationship with God. Now, I want to share with you this morning three freedom guidelines. I call them love limiters. Love limiters. The title of this is, Are There Any Limits to My Freedom? The answer is yes and no. That's a yes and no answer. It all depends. No, in one sense, all to me, there's no limit to your freedom at all. As Paul says, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are permissible, but not all things are constructive. So let us pursue the things that are constructive. So he gives us sort of a standard, a measure, a measuring there. Let's find out what's constructive. But I want to give you the three guidelines that will help you get the most out of your freedom. Freedom is wonderful if you use it properly. And if you don't, and you abuse it, then it ends up being as frustrating as not being free. The first love limiter is God's love for you. When you begin to understand God loves you, God cares about you personally, God is always for you. There's something that happens in your heart. See, we've tended always to work and serve from a perspective of duty. That's what I've got to do this. God's is waiting to club me at any time. And it's sad, but we've learned that from religion. That is by and large what religion has brought us because that's the way people operate. You do the right thing, do everything just right, and, and you'll be okay. Don't screw up. I want to share with you a little story that Jesus told to illustrate this point. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. One day, Jesus was invited to this formal party over at Simon's house. And Simon was a star religious leader of his day. He was a Pharisee. Really a pious, righteous, religious leader. And Jesus goes over to his home and they sit down at the table and, and Simon is trying to carry on his stuffy theological discussion with Jesus. Impress all of his friends that are there. And while they're talking, this woman walks in, this prostitute. Evident from the way she was dressed, everyone in the room knew it. Jesus just keeps his discussion going and this woman walks up, sort of behind Jesus. She kneels down and she starts to cry. And the tears from her eyes fall on his feet. She begins washing his feet with her tears and drying his feet with her hair. You might say it seemed a little compromising. And I love the Lord. I'll tell you, He just blows my mind when I read these stories. And you know what we think, don't you? Jesus didn't worry about that. And this woman, she's crying. And Simon, old pious Simon, is thinking to himself, if this man were a prophet, he'd know what kind of a heathen woman is touching him. And he wouldn't let her do it. And Jesus is very intuitive. Jesus said, Simon, I, I want to tell you a story. Kind of like real natural, like, story just came to me, Simon. There was a certain money lender. And there was two men who owed him money. One owed him a thousand dollars, and the other owed him a million dollars. You with me, Simon? I said, yeah, I'm with you. I, I got it. All right. 
Neither one of them could repay the debt they owed. So the moneylender canceled both their debts. Simon, who do you think would love him more? And Simon said, well, I suppose the one who had the larger debt. And Jesus said, bingo! The $50 question, you got it! That's exactly right, Simon. Since the time I came into your home, you haven't washed my feet, kissed my face, you've offered me nothing. And from the time I came in this room, this woman has not ceased washing my feet and drying them with her hair and anointing my feet with oil. Her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. Simon, he who's forgiven much, loves much. And he who's forgiven little, loves little. You see, there is power in forgiveness. God understands the power of His forgiveness in your life and He's willing to risk it all. He's willing to risk the fact that you may come to know Christ and abuse your freedom the rest of your life. God's willing to risk it because He understands that when you begin to get a glimpse of how much God lets you off the hook, what happens is, Inside your heart, there's this new desire that says, Lord, I want to love you back. I want to love you in return. And so his love is very compelling as the book of 1 John tells us. We love because he first loved us. And we begin to respond. Paul said that the greatest motivation in his life was the love of Christ compels me. And it motivates me on. So that's the first love limited in our life. The second one is our love for God. First is His love for us, and now is our love for God. You see, our relationship with God is like marriage. My wife and I, 11 years ago, didn't form a business relationship. We didn't sit out, and this, this, I, this kills me today. We sit down and make this business agreement Love is not a business agreement. Love is freely given. And if it's real love, it's going to be taken advantage of. I can promise you that. You can count on that. Love is something we give freely. When I married my wife, I didn't marry her because she paid me. I didn't marry her because she talked me into it. I married her because I wanted to, because I loved her. I thought I knew a lot, a lot about love when I first got married. I found I didn't know a whole lot about it. I just had that initial little seed that was willing to grow. And as we went along in our marriage, I remember this one particular incident. About six years ago, we were in Arkansas and we were going on this little horse ride, this trail ride. We really love horses and, and it's hard to find a place to go, so we thought we'd go. My wife was six months pregnant. And uh, she was willing to go. And so we all get down to these horses, and all of our horses have names. And uh, my wife gets on this horse. That's the guy goes, well, by the way, you know, hey, this is pretty neat. The horse is six months pregnant too. <laughs> Thought they'd make a great team. They could both go into labor together, you know, kind of out on the trail ride. And the horse's name was Big Mama. <laughs> I thought that was a cute name. Now, I am a born tease, and I admit that. I was the oldest of six, and I teased really bad. Now, I've had to break some of those habits. I've had to stifle my freedom. 
But um, I thought it'd be a cute name for my wife. Ooh, the villain. Ooh. And so I remember we got home and I started calling her Big Mama. Hey, Big Mama, come here. Oh boy, yes. I need some sensitivity training. And uh, I thought it was kind of cute, actually, because I didn't mean anything personal by it. Honest, I didn't. I just thought it was kind of comical. And I knew how I knew it would kind of get to her, you know. Ah, it, and it did. Yeah, it did. It did. So uh, after a while, she didn't laugh. And after a while, I realized that it, there was this barrier somehow between us. There was a lack of real appreciation for my, uh, my kindness there. And one day she said, Mark, well, it wasn't one day, it was often. She said, Mark, Mark she said, I'd really appreciate if you wouldn't call me Big Mama. You know, I mean, I mean, it just doesn't do a whole lot for me. You know, maybe some other kind pet name, but not Big Mama. So, at first, I, I got to be real honest with you, I was real reluctant. Oh, hey, man, I'm just having fun lighting up. You know, you guys call me Jelly Belly. And by the way, I want you to know this is my sweater. This is not me. I hate these sweaters. I tell you. This is solid. This is not me. And so anyway, so I, I'm going on and on about this, you know. And then one day, I was, and I was thinking, you know, gee, you know, if I really love my wife, and I do, then I must be willing to impose restrictions on myself. Especially when it's things that get in the way of our relationship. Because I love her. I love her. I didn't, I, didn't mean to, I didn't want to offend her. And so to the best of my ability, I've given up that name. And um, there's other things, many other things I could tell you about. I've had to learn. We both had to learn in marriage. But you see, the point is, when you love someone then there's a willingness to change. We all need change in our life. There's nothing wrong with that. And God is patient with us. And He is kind with us. And He's not going to come and go, alright, I've had it. Do it now or never. You know, it's like you do this now or you've had it. That's not the way God works with us. He loves us. So He's patient with us. And so that limits our freedom. That keeps us from taking it way off into Never Never Land and abusing it and then simply abusing our relationship with God. It keeps us from getting the most out of it. But this limiter helps us get the most in our relationship with God. The third love limiter is our love for God's Word. Alright? You know what's interesting about God. God is willing to listen to us anytime, day or night. Anytime. About anything. You'd be surprised at the things I talk to God about. Well, I talk to God about everything and I go complain to God and I go, God, I don't really like this man and this person's really rubbing me the wrong way. I kind of wish you'd sort of remove him from the planet. You know? And then God starts to work with me and, you know, Mark, lighten up a little bit and, and let's, you know, let's interact on this. But, I, but God, we can have the assurance, it tells us in Hebrews, to go boldly, just crashing into the throne room, and hey Lord, we've got to talk. Well, okay son, sit down here, let's talk. He's always available to us. But in a relationship, if you don't listen back, you're never going to get much out of the relationship. 
The Bible is God's way of communicating with you. The Bible is, is God's way of letting you know all that He has for you and all that He wants you to experience. You see, in our relationship with God, the difference between God and a human is humans, they get selfish. Sometimes my wife has asked me to do things and she's doing them selfishly. And I'm the same way. I've asked her to quit things and I'm just because mom's selfish. But God, He's never selfish. God, everything He ever planned for you and is written down is for your best interest. It's for your good. And you can always bank on that. The Bible tells us in Proverbs that He holds victory in store for the upright. He desires to lead us on from one good thing to the next. No matter what we go through in life, it can be rich with Him. That's why David said, The Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. And He leads me beside quiet waters and restful Green pastures and goodness and mercy follow me all the day of my life and my cup overflows and that's what a relationship with God was meant to be. And so the Bible gives us God's perspective. I would have never known that that was ruining or, or hindering my relationship with my wife if she hadn't told me and if I had been willing to listen. So often, we want to talk but we don't want to listen. I see this happening in marriages, I see this in relationships, and I see this in relationships with God. We love for Him to listen to us, we love for others to listen to us, but, you know, I, I'm too busy to listen. I want to share with you a little story that illustrates all of this. It's another story that Jesus told. It's my other favorite story in the Bible. There was a father, and he had two sons. And one, day, one of these sons comes to the father, he says, Dad, look, I, I've kind of had it around here, you know? I am feeling stifled. I want my freedom. In fact, he had the audacity to ask for his inheritance right then and there. Dad wasn't even dead. Wasn't even near dead. He just goes, Dad, I want my money now. So the dad goes to the bank. He comes back home. He says, Son, here you are. And he gives him all the money. And off the son goes. Off to the city life. And he spends all his money on the party life, on women, on anything that he can buy, anything that he can take in. And he takes it all in. And he surrounds himself with friends. And then one day, his money runs out. All of his money is gone. All of his friends are gone. And he's sitting alone, squandered all that he had. And he has to go out and look for a job. So he ends up on a pig farm. Now I got to tell you, that's a curse. If, I'm sorry if you were raised on one. I worked on one. The smell alone will kill you. <laughs> if you've never been around pigs, you don't want to be around pigs. Just enjoy the fragrant aroma of bacon. But believe me, pigs do not smell like bacon. Okay. And so this guy, things are so bad that he's stuck on this swine farm. And not only is it so bad, he has nothing to eat. And, and it says he longs to eat the slop that the pigs were eating, but no one would even give him that. Life was bad. One day, he sort of comes to his senses and he says, Gemini, I'm just going to go home, tell Dad I was wrong, and ask if I can be one of his hired servants. So... Off he heads back for the, the farm. His father was one of those fathers who, every day when he came down the lane to check the mail, he'd look, he'd just pause and he'd look 
all across the horizon, fully expecting one day that his son would come back. One day he's down, faithfully checking the mail, looking it over, and he pauses again like he does every day. And he's looking over the horizon. And sort of in the sun, the setting sun, he sees, well, it's a figure, a lone figure, walking. He can't quite make it out. But as he gets a little closer, he realizes, from a distance, my son. And he takes off down the lane, down the gravel road, as fast as his own legs will take him. And he embraces his son. And he starts crying. And he starts kissing his son. Son didn't say anything. And his son goes through his spiel, Dad, I was wrong and things are, are bad and you were right. Could I just be your hired servant? And the father totally ignores him. He says, bring the fatted calf. Bring me my clothes. Bring me the robe. Kill the calf. Let's party. That's exactly what he said. And they kill the calf. They invite all his friends. He puts on these robes on him in the ring. And it's like the son was never gone. The lesson from that story is this. I can't tell how many times I've been that prodigal son in my life. Off over here on this tangent. Off over here. Abusing my freedom over here. And then I get the fill of my way and God brings me back to Himself. You know, there's no benefit in abusing our freedom. There's no benefit at all. But the the biggest loss of all is simply the enriching time of our relationship with God. During that time, that son was off in the party life wherever he was in the city. He missed out on an intimacy with his father. But what's awesome to me is when he came back, there was no rebuttal from his father. There was no rebuke from his father. There was no son. This can't ever happen again. I want you to know what you put me through. He simply embraced the son because God always accepts and always forgives and always loves. You see, my friends, Christianity is not a religion. It is not a prison. It is a relationship of freedom trust and love between you and God. God wants you to experience in your daily life the joy of knowing Him. There is no greater joy and pleasure in the world than just simply walking with God. Talking with Him. You know, I don't know about you, but for me, one of the richest earthly experiences I have is being with friends. It's relationships. I'm very relational. People, I get a charge out of people. And there's some people, like for probably most of in this, in this room, there's a couple individuals that we could be with all the time. You just sort of feel good in their presence. Let me tell you, when you learn what God is really like, you could be with Him all the time. He's so refreshing. He's so inspiring. He's so loving, tender, and affectionate and expressive to you. Next week, I'm going to share with you, this will be the last in the series of this particular series, last message, on helping others break out. The jailbreak. How do we help others break out of living this kind of a lifestyle? 
It'll change your relationship with your children, your relationship with your mate, your relationship with friends. The things that I share with you next week will help you be dynamic in your relationships. Let's pray.